Hello, Charles here, and welcome to Tech Demand Weekly, powered by Serious Decisions. This is the third instalment in our definition of a lead month, so if you haven't heard the other two episodes, go back into your podcast catcher right now and check those out. In our first two episodes, we heard from Terry Flaherty of Serious Decisions. Leads of any term in B2B marketing, it's probably the most common term that has the most definition. And Chris Borman, VP of Marketing at CA Technologies. Leads a very simple thing. It's somebody who basically you engage with. This week, we are looking at the definition of a lead from a demand generation manager's viewpoint. Not every hand raiser is a lead. In my viewpoint, a hand raiser is just another campaign response until they have some level of qualification. Cost per lead is a metric I try to constrain upfront through better buying and negotiating practices and bundling deals from vendors across business units. It's not the sexiest part of marketing, but I spend an awful lot of time creating communication processes and communication workflows. And while it's not sexy, it's critical. Pamela Guyton-Michaels works for Alvalara, a tax compliance solution company based in Seattle, the USA. Pamela is a demand generation leader and has a proven track record of increasing conversion in the United States. As with every episode this month, I started our conversation by asking Pamela for her own definition of a lead. My definition of a lead is an individual who meets or who comes close to meeting at least, a predetermined ideal customer profile in terms of demographics and firmographics, but also who's registered some level of interest or intent in finding a solution for the type of problem the business I represent solves. In the case of Avalara, that's really the pain that's associated with managing transactional taxes like sales and use tax, VAT, GST, uh, and other tax types. But I think it's really important to clarify that not every hand raiser is a lead. Uh, in my viewpoint, a hand raiser is just another campaign response until they have some level of qualification, whether that's through some sort of an automated mechanism like questions embedded in a form capture or through intent data or through a more manual process that would include sales follow-up. And I also think it's important to keep in mind that there are different categories of leads. And I really look at leads through my demand gen lens. So I think a lot about bringing in net new leads to help fill the top of the funnel. And I focus heavily on generating marketing qualified leads. But we can also look at prospects who are already in the funnel, who've converted to opportunities as leads. And we can serve them content on competitive differentiation and other types of things to help accelerate the sales cycle. So how does your view on a lead then differ to the view that your your company that you work for has? Is there a difference? Yeah, sure. I mean, Avalara's marketing engine is constantly evolving as the company grows. And in the past couple of years, we've taken a hard look at our MQL model. We're constantly refining it to make sure that the best possible prospects are rising to the surface while the rest are flowing into nurture paths until they're really ready to have a conversation with us. 
Uh, and I'll say that currently my view of a lead and especially an MQL aligns pretty closely with Avalara's, but that was not always the case. We experimented for a while with different formulas that combined a lead score based on company fit, an individual's behavior score, and the type of offer they responded to. And in that model, things like white papers and ebooks received less weight and therefore a lower lead score than people who, for example, attended an event that Avalara had a booth at regardless of their level of interest or lack thereof. I mean, it was better than the model that we'd used previously, but it was far from perfect. And in some cases, I think it kept the SDR team from getting to the really hot leads in a timely manner. So I'm really happy with the current evolution of the model, and I can only imagine what that model is going to look like in a few more years as we continue to make tweaks and improvements. Is it fair to say then that you're either evolving your own opinion uh, and your own definition through your work with Alvalara as well so that maybe one day the two will actually get a lot closer together I'm, I'm talking about the definition that you both kind of have on the lead yeah I mean I think um, my definition of a lead has evolved and is evolving and it's happening for Avalara. I feel like we're growing and learning together. I've been at Avalara for four years. Uh, Avalara has been around for more like 14 years, um, but I feel like we're just hitting a certain maturity and really hitting our stride. So far in this series, then, we've recorded podcasts with representatives from Serious Decisions and also CA Technologies. Um, one of the questions that we asked Chris Borman from CA last week was how he measures success in his role. And he came back with a fairly obvious, well, I measure success based on how much business and how many deals I actually close. Um, how about in, in your role, Pamela, how do you measure success? Yeah, so they're the hard, obvious metrics like prospect database growth, the percentage of responses that are net new, response to MQL conversion, response to opportunity conversion, cost per opportunity. I could go on and on. And then there are pipeline metrics like contribution to deals and bookings. But then there are the metrics that play out in the multi-touch attribution model that we've developed, which shows the impact of demand gen responses from a variety of campaign types on deals and bookings. Um, I think it can be really difficult if your sales team uses last touch campaign attribution when they're creating an op to show the impact of top of funnel campaigns, something like paid syndication, when the ops are created downstream after nurture has occurred, they've already engaged with your content multiple times, perhaps they do a web search, um, come back in through your website when they're ready to have a serious conversation, and then a response that came in through syndication becomes an op that's attributed to the web. So those multi-touch models really help us make sure that we've got a much more accurate picture from our data and that we're investing our resources on the right types of activities. There's nothing that's misleading um, from just those kind of hard, obvious metrics. 
And aside from the hard data, I use um, good old-fashioned soft metrics. I try to keep the lines of communication open with our SDR team leads, with sales, to make sure that the responses that they're getting are high quality so that we can course correct if there are issues with any elements of the campaigns. And on a personal level, I measure success on the growth scale. Am I learning new things? Am I being challenged? Am I being a good teacher or mentor to others on the team? I think just this week, Jeff Bezos kind of ripped the concept of work-life balance. So I'll say that if I like my job enough that I can't resist talking about it with my family and friends when I'm not working, then things are going well. And if sales is meeting their goals, I'm even happier. There, there were a couple of things that you said there that I, I just wanted to pick up on because one of the things that Chris Borman last week actually spoke about was communication. You've actually come up and said that yourself as well and, and keeping that communication line open um, throughout the process, so from marketing down to sales. Chris was very adamant that that is possibly one of the most important parts of his job um, to actually make sure that he can go from just having an MQL to actually having a sale and, and closed business. It all comes down to that communication between the different parts of the organization. Is that, that fair to say? It's really fair to say. I uh, In the past year, we've spent a lot of time building out automated mechanisms for SDRs to give us feedback on lead quality. Um, so with a single click um, of a button, we know why a lead is not going to move down the funnel. So we've got the right reasons for refusal. And I can pull a quick report without actually having to even speak to an SDR and understand what's happening in a given campaign. Um, also, I make a point of listening in on select calls. Um, actually, our entire marketing department does it at least once a month uh, so that we understand the conversations that are happening with the SDR team um, and understand what is top of mind for our audience uh, so that we're, we're serving them the content that they need to answer some of their questions. Um, and the same goes for, for field sales, um, just staying involved with them. I also make it a point not just to stay uh, linked in tight with our sales team, but to stay close to the customer, close to the prospect. I attend as many events as I can so that I know where our audience is coming from. That I think is, is is perfect in a way. I think in any walk of life, any business, um, any any way that we work, whether we're working in uh, marketing or whether we're working in retail, wherever it might be, that actual thing of keeping that communication line open between different departments, especially ones that are involved in the same pipeline, if you like, of of you know start at the top, work your way down to the bottom listening into calls that other departments are having and keeping yourself abreast of everything that's going on. I think that's a really, really good point that you make. 
The other thing I wanted to pick you up on um, that you talked about uh, a moment ago, Pamela, was how you measure success by how much you're learning. So how much you're actually taking on board and discovering new things all the time. How do you think that that works? I mean, I know they always say that, you know, you know you're not having fun unless you're kind of learning something new and, and you're not advancing either in that aspect. But how do you sort of look at it and go, oh, yes, I've learned something today? Is there anything in particular that you can maybe tell us about when that's kind of happened to you? Yeah. Um, when I joined Avalara, I was a firm believer in um, going with your gut. And I have learned, it has been drilled into me by our vice president of marketing, Kel Kelly, that the data tells a story, but the, on- the data only tells a story if it's accurate. So we've invested really heavily in tools and processes to give us the best story that there is. And um, just in evaluating different vendors and looking at the new pieces of technology that have come out in the past few years, it has really changed my opinion and approach to marketing overall, and also just being forced to be so much more analytical than I ever had been in the past. So is it possible to tell us a bit more about how you actually manage the lead programs for us, Pamela, please? Yeah, so I rely pretty heavily on the metrics that we discussed earlier. And um, as I was just saying, I've really learned to manage by the numbers and by the story that the data tells. Um, I don't ignore my gut. Uh, Sometimes it takes a while for a new vendor or a campaign to take hold in the market. And I think you have to know when to be patient and let it ride and when to pull the plug and move on to another strategy or tactic. I use a suite of tools to help automate campaign management so that we can scale our efforts. And notably, I rely on an import solution that sits between demand gen vendors and our marketing automation platform to normalize data and reject bad leads or leads that don't meet our ideal customer profile before they enter the CRM. And then another member of our team has a host of ABM tools that help her automate that process from identifying prospects all the way through to direct mail fulfillment. And of course, our sales team is using automated follow-up and scheduling tools. And I'd have to say that without automation and automated program management, it's really unlikely that I and we could run enough campaigns to meet the needs of a growing business without hiring a really massive administrative staff. I I think that's quite interesting, actually. So obviously, Alvalara, you said was going for how long now? Was it 14 years? So still a fairly relatively new business in the grand scheme of things. If you think about, you know, massive companies and I don't just necessarily mean in your field but big names like I don't know Apple for example who have been going on for decades so you're still a relatively you know new business and therefore at the start of a new business you can't be going out and spending all your money on hiring hundreds and hundreds of members of staff 
So going out there and actually having automated systems that you pay for, say, once to get them made, and then that's it, you have, um, is obviously going to be a lot cheaper and also give you those leads quicker, aren't they? Definitely. And we keep a close eye at Avalara on the magic number. And um, we work to achieve the right balance of kind of marketing spend and return. Um, and, and again, without automated systems, automated technology, the overhead would be so high. I just don't think we'd ever get there. So obviously your role is also international. Um, what differences and challenges do you see with managing international programs? For example, like GDPR coming in here in the UK and, and other barriers that you might face. Yeah, GDPR was a bit of a curveball, wasn't it? Um, but we, uh, we've we been really careful at Avalara to choose a tech stack and vendors that offer built-in safeguards when it comes to compliance issues like GDPR. And we tend to select solutions from the corporate office with a global mindset. I think it would be pretty embarrassing for a company that's in the business of compliance to be caught out of compliance. So we carefully vet solution providers to ensure that they're using global best practices when they're acquiring data. And our legal team and marketing operations are pretty heavily involved in educating all of our marketers around the globe to make sure that we understand the rules and they give us built-in safeguards to ensure that we don't make mistakes. Uh, In the U.S., it's extremely unlikely that a marketer could hit a button and accidentally send an email out to EMEA that would break or jeopardize GDPR compliance. Um, So I would say that currently my biggest issue in running international programs is ensuring that the back end of the campaigns is set up properly so that leads automatically route to the correct teams in the appropriate territories without manual intervention. Right. Okay. So that's basically making sure that um, someone that's based in the right area of the world is going to be calling that particular lead rather than say, if you had a lead that was a person in the UK, you're not asking or getting someone from America to call them and, and to follow up on their lead. Is that right? That is right. And, you know, it seems like it should be pretty straightforward if you're setting up campaign routing in Salesforce to make sure that the leads go to the right team. But when you bring in um, all of the different um, campaign sources, um, if you look at web forms that might be hard coded, um, it can be very easy to circumvent that routing and leads can end up in exactly the wrong place. It's also a bit of a challenge, um, I'll say, that uh, periodically our Salesforce administration team in the, in the U.S. will make changes with a very kind of limited U.S. mindset and not realize that there are fields in our CRM that our our regional teams, our global teams are using in a slightly different way. So they will unwittingly uh, make an adjustment that has an impact to our teams and then we'll have to um, 
roll it back as soon as we realize what has happened. So again, that's where I think communication across all of the different business units is critical, uh, not just within marketing, but in IT, in admin, um, all the different pieces and parts need to be working in chorus um, and making sure that they know what's going on or even the slightest change can have a massive impact on the business. I I think I said the same thing to Chris last week when he was talking about communication. Um, it, It seems just common sense that you would actually, you know, make sure that that communication, those communication channels are open um, and that you are keeping abreast on everything that every part of the the, the process uh, and the divisions in in the business are actually following through. So as you say there, if, if, if something is implemented, thinking uh, and forgetting about the fact that you operate on a, on a global scale and it actually will have a negative impact on something that's happening outside of the US that you then have to roll it back. Yes, of course, that that probably isn't ever going to be eliminated entirely uh, just through communicating at the very beginning. There's also trial and error, of course, that, that you're going to have to uh, to go through to get that uh, those those issues completely uh, eliminated and, and to roll back, as you say. But without that communication, at the end of the day, those things would just go out and then you wouldn't know or those people wouldn't know that there was an issue somewhere else in the world or somewhere else within the company's landscape. So for me, I always thought people answer that sort of question and they say that communication is the key. And I think, well, of course it is. You know, that that shouldn't be, a, 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 you know, something that really needs saying almost. Right. And I, I'll say it's not the sexiest part of marketing, but I spend an awful lot of time creating communication processes and communication workflows. And while it's not sexy, it's critical. We'll be back with Pamela for hopefully some of the more sexier parts of marketing and lead generation in a moment. Serious Decisions is a research and advisory firm that delivers the actionable, intelligence, transformative frameworks and expert guidance that equip executives to modernize and elevate sales, marketing and product performance. Fast-growing companies rely on Serious Decisions research and insights to improve their decision-making ability and help them implement and change processes faster to drive growth. Based on a recent study, Serious Decisions clients are proven to grow 12 to 15 times faster than their peers and have a 34% higher profitability rate. Serious Decisions' mission is to help their clients achieve cross-functional alignment and improve performance through access to cutting-edge research and collaborative step-by-step counsel. Check out their latest research and insights at SeriousDecisions.com. Before the break, Pamela and I discussed some of the challenges of managing international programs and how, as a demand generation leader, she measures success. Next, I wanted to know Pamela's opinion on something Terry Flaherty talked about in our chat with him a couple of weeks back, around buying groups and how they need to be aligned with the customer. I asked Pamela how Alvalara ensure its sales staff are aligned with the decision-making unit of the company. Avalara has a relatively new, uh, created within the past two years, product marketing team that actively surveys the decision-making unit of our customers and prospects to make sure that both our sales team and other marketing groups 
understand the key motivators and are aligned with the business decision makers. So we've identified very specific buyer personas with talk tracks and marketing messaging designed to appeal to each one. And these personas and the related sales tools that have They've been drilled into the sales team through ongoing training, along with materials like competitive battle cards and materials that help prospects understand not just what do I need to know about automating my tax process, but also why choose Avalara. Is it possible for you to talk a little bit more about how you've grown the pipeline as your result? reduce the cost per lead. Um, What's your main advice to succeed? Yeah, yeah. So as I said before, Avalara went public this year. And as a result, I can't say as much as I would like about our growth. But I will say that cost per lead is a metric I try to constrain upfront through better buying and negotiating practices and bundling deals from vendors across business units. Uh, Cost per lead was a really key metric for me in 2017, but these days it's not nearly as important to me as contribution to bookings. And I find that as I add filters and exclusions to my campaigns to try to pinpoint the very best prospects that meet our ideal customer profile, my cost per lead actually rises. But the conversion to opportunity also increases and therefore potential and actual bookings improve. So I think my main advice is really to not get too lost in vanity metrics and instead to focus on the end goal, how your work is contributing to the actual growth of the business because business success is your success. So Pamela, you, you've been in demand generation for the last 20 years or so. Um, how, how have you seen it evolve? What sort of changed? Yeah, number one, thank you for making me feel ancient. <laughs> I started the day feeling quite young and now I feel old, old, old. I'm joking. Um, when I started in demand generation, so much was still offline. And I can recall that events were a key driver of opportunities for sales. And I felt like I had much less control over things than I do now. It was much more of a spray and pray mentality than actual targeted demand gen. Just get out your lasso, hook in as many people as you can and see what falls out. But technology has really given marketers an almost spooky edge. And we know where our prospects are spending their time online. We can test creative and keywords and get almost instant feedback. We can measure and use things like interest with intent data, and we can use triggered email campaigns and retargeting to serve contextual content to nurture prospects. So the sky is the limit, especially when you use your tech stack the right way and you have measures in place to help control the health of the data in your CRM. So where do you think that it's going to be taking us in the next sort of three years time? 
Whew, uh, I can only imagine. I wish I had a crystal ball, but I think we're going to continue to see tools develop that'll help with demand orchestration and ABM. I don't think Avalara is alone in seeing a lot of success uh, in that area. And we're in the era of what's old is new again. And that named account strategy seems to be working really well for marketers. So I assume we'll stick with that for a while. And also, we're just at the beginning of vendors who are offering artificial intelligence tools to help uncover the best leads for better targeting. So I think more of that is to come. And really, I can't wait to see what's next and what tools the tech innovators are going to give us to be even better, smarter marketers. I think one of the things that I'm most sort of interested in, in in the future and what it holds is is AI and what that can actually do for us in all walks of life. Um, how, how do you think that AI and smart technology might be able to help you in your role in the future? Yeah, I mean, as I just as I just mentioned, um, there are some solutions that are using AI to um, to find lookalike leads, so I can find a list of actual customers. I can submit that list to a vendor that uses AI and they can use their AI engine to find commonalities uh, in the data um, that would take an analyst quite a while to get to. And then they can go out and find matches that we can then approach through ABM or a similar type of um, marketing strategy. So I think more of that is what's going to be coming on the horizon. And I wish that I had more of an entrepreneurial tech innovator mindset. But um, uh, luckily, there are smarter people than me who are out there coming up with those solutions every day. You mentioned before about sort of listening to calls, um, smart technology you've talked about. Um, with your experience, what, what advice do you have maybe for your peers for, for how to sort of deal with the future without giving away anything that you're planning on doing, of course? <sighs> test, 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 test. Um, test your content, test your, test new vendors. Don't, as I said before, put all of your eggs in one basket because wells will dry up and databases are only so large. So, um, spread your marketing mix wisely and, um, yeah, always be looking for that next piece of technology that's going to give you a competitive advantage. Don't don't be afraid to add to your tech stack and invest there. My thanks to Pamela Guyton-Michaels. For more information on what Alvalara do, visit their website, avalara.com. Next week, I'll be speaking with Sharon Murnahan of HubSpot. So be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your podcast catcher to make sure you don't miss that one. You've been listening to Tech Demand Weekly, powered by Serious Decisions, with me, Charles Commons. See you next Wednesday.